You are listening to WHOA Podcast, coming to you from Gainesville, Florida. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the WHOA GNV Podcast. The podcast bringing you businesses and individuals that make you go, whoa. Today on the show, we have two... <laughs> Today on the show, we have two leadership legends. Matthew Sauchik and Nathan Whitaker. Guys, welcome to our show. Man, Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> what an introduction. Yeah, I can't bring that energy. I'm going to try, but... <laughs> uh, it, it was funny because uh, as we were preparing for the show, um, Matthew sent his, uh, his list of, what do they call that? <laughs> like for the green room and that kind of thing. Uh, writer, they call it a writer. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm just joking. It was like, are we gonna have mimosas? I was like, of course we're gonna have mimosas. <laughs> It'll be the first show with mimosas. So we got them right here. So you and my it. and my lovely assistant. Uh, cheers. Yeah, cheers. My lovely assistant. Uh, are you got drinking the coffee. Cheers. Bro? Coffee first. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she made sure that I got the low acid because remember last time I was telling you about my little ulcer or whatever. Yeah. So she got the low acid orange juice. She I was, didn't know that was the thing. <laughs> I didn't know that was the thing either until this morning. So. Mm. But um, but guys, I'm super excited to have you here. Thank you so much. I really tried to piece this particular podcast together because I knew that they didn't know each other, but I just thought from a leadership standpoint, that's gonna be the theme of today's episode is leadership. I just knew that we'd be able to really get into some great discussion on a plethora of different leadership topics. And, um, and I'm so, so excited to get, in it, get into it, so. For the few people that don't know who you guys are, we're gonna. I want to get into the origin stories, like take it way back. But just give us like the thirty second. This is who I am. This is what I do. Right, Matt, go Perfect. first. Yeah, no, I am Matt Sachik. I am a faculty member, a professor at University of Florida. Teach uh, leadership classes to undergraduates, PhD students. I uh, do a lot of consulting, go out, work with businesses, work with mostly emerging leaders, try to help them kind of develop over time. And, jeez, uh, uh, well, I'll tell you more about the, the origin story. <laughs> and how did, like, I'm trying to think back to how we met. Yeah. You had a student that was doing something with me, right? That's right. So one of the exercises that we have students do on that undergraduate level is we ask them to pick a leader and find the qualities, you know, the theories, the, the things that we talk about in class in that particular leader and one of them chose you. Okay. And then that led to you reaching out to me. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. Okay. So I reached that out to That was like, this guy is a genius leader. That's right. I said, I, I am 100% reaching out to, to this guy. I got that's right. I have to be. <laughs> no, well, I'm so glad that you did yeah, because thanks. like, the, as soon as we met when you walked in the door, gave you a tour of the place and just instantly became friends and just been a, a great, yeah, yeah that's awesome. awesome. So I love it. So Nathan, how about you, man? Give us the 30 second version of who you are. So I, uh, I've spent time in the NFL, and with a, as a result of that, um, have seen some leaders. So I've been able to do some writing and some speaking since then. I primarily write books and am, and, and am able, boy, it's early, to get on the road and speak on leadership and teamwork and, uh, and the like. So that's been an interesting, uh, and we'll get into the origins, but an interesting segue for me to do all this speaking and writing lately. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm, <laughs> this is gonna be so much fun. So Ty, tell us what's, what's going on in your world, man. Is there anything happening? Um, in the best of Gainesville world. Yeah, I mean, we got a bunch of things kind of in the background trying to uh, try to learn from these guys a little bit this morning on how to, uh, you know, play a small part in being a community leader here in Gainesville. And I'm hoping today will help me kind of uh, 
you know, get the little roadmap a little cleaner for our next couple months because I'm working on a ton of things simultaneously. So uh, hopefully Any, I can Anything you can give us like a little, a, little, a little secret on, the little um, behind the scenes? More just like... a couple websites we're trying to take the Instagram side and really become that front door for Gainesville in a uh, in kind of a shareable viral um, way that's a little bit more, you know, natural for students and emerging students and, and uh, people maybe coming over to Gainesville start a business or move so trying to try and provide some tourism. trying to facilitate yeah, it all yeah, man trying to facilitate it I'm all. so proud of you dude so, we'll see I'd love for sure <laughs> and I'm watching this, my boy right and I'm watching this hurricane I'm watching this hurricane so well our, our, yeah so we still got that going on. Well, yeah, and we talked bad. about it in the last episode. For everybody who was like watching, <laughs> who listened to the last episode, uh, we've recorded back to back Tuesday and Wednesday to try to, to get ahead. We're, we're pre planning for Thanksgiving weeks and that kind of thing coming ahead in November. So, but um, yeah, hopefully that's not going to be too bad. That hurricane, Michael. Yeah, it's a category keep four it, now. Keeping my fingers, keeping my fingers crossed. So, all the love to everybody in the Panhandle. But. Um, Guys, thanks again so much for being here. So one of the things that we absolutely love to do to bring context to who you guys are and what got you to this point is just your origin story. So who wants to kick us off? You go first. Okay. <laughs> so I grew up in Gainesville, and uh, I was born. This is Nathan for everybody who's listening. Sorry. Sorry. Yes, Nathan, <laughs> sixth generation Floridian. Uh, grew up in Gainesville. Went to high school here in town, and then went off to college and law school. Went to Duke, then went to Harvard Law. So as my wife says, I'm educated far beyond my intelligence. And uh, got out of law school, clerked for a, a federal judge here in, uh, who actually lives here in Gainesville, a huge Gator fan. Um, spent two years with him, two years practicing law, and then um, was able to break into the NFL. So I spent three years with the Jacksonville Jaguars under Tom Coughlin, three years with the Tampa Bay Bucks, one under Tony Dungy, two under John Gruden. And then after I was given my walking walking papers by the Bucks, um, decided to find something else to do. They had turned over the whole front office, and so uh, decided to write books. So Tony Dungy and I worked on his memoir together, and that did relatively well. Um, sold a ton of copies, and uh, so it ended up being a whole career. I just thought that Tony's book would be valuable to people, and maybe I could just write that one book. But it turned out to be a career. So I've done uh, nine or ten books with Tony. I've done Tim Tebow's first book with Tim. And then, uh, and a couple of those have been teamwork books and leadership books. So it's been fun to then branch off into that area and be able to speak as a something of a not an expert the way um, the good doctor is. But uh, but anyway, I have some knowledge and some insight on people who have led and, and have kind of a front row seat for some of those things. Well, but you weren't like a writer as a child or anything. You just flipped the switch and was like, I'm going to write books. Just kind of flipped the switch. Yeah, <laughs> I was an English major in college, okay. and. Um, and so I, I spoke at Duke not too long ago and had a, had a professor come up and say, well, so really we launched you on kind of what? And I said, you offered one creative writing class and I was rejected based on my writing sample. So no, you <laughs> sent me back 17 years. So anyway, I'd, I'd always enjoyed writing but had never done anything formally. Um, so no, this was, and Tony had to sell me to publishers. Uh, he and I had been friends and had talked about this book project. So when he finally decided to do it after they won the Super Bowl and his son had passed away and he thought, okay, maybe there is something I have to share. And, Publisher said, great, we just need a real writer. And Tony said, I trust Nathan. Either it's with Nathan or there's no book. And so that's that's what got me started. Dang, so, so he really went into bat for you. He really that's did. Awesome. And that's it's typical awesome. Tony that, you know, he, he figures, and I'm sure we'll get into this more later, but for him it's about the people. And it's about having the right folks around him on the project, on the team, whatever it is. Uh, Denny Green told him with the Vikings, it's not about having the best 53 players on the roster. It's about having the right 53. 
So I guess for some reason Tony thought I was the right one to help him with it. So that's awesome. That's where we are. And so now that's led you. I mean, you're still writing. I'm still writing. And yes. now you said you're doing a lot more speaking. I am. So I, am. I just got back is that from something Iowa. That, is that something that you really enjoy? I do. You do. I do. Just got back from Iowa. I'm going to Minnesota in a couple of weeks, speaking at corporate events, and so no, I like it a lot. Spoke to a college basketball team two weeks ago, and do you get nervous? I do. I do, yeah. and I think it's good. I think it gives me energy. Uh, yeah. So I get I get a little bit of butterflies. And is it like but, right before? See, because I, I like to do speaking stuff too, and I I get like I get like the butterflies like right mm-hmm. before. Yeah. And then when I'm on stage, like I'm just like I'm on. I love it. Mm-hmm. I, I thrive on it. it. Reminds me of my like I think I talked about this before. My college days of being on stage playing trumpet like in a band and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like just I don't know just the adrenaline rush yeah. for me. That's probably more what it is, but it definitely is something. And but at the same time, I'm able to stay somewhat aware. Like I spoke in Boston a few years ago, and and afterwards, uh, my wife said, "Oh, it was great." And I said, "How do you know? You walked out halfway through it." And she, she said, well, "I went to the bathroom." I said, "I could totally see you going." And I'm like, "What did I say to offend my wife of all people?" So and it plays with you. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. She's like, that's "How good. do you have the time?" To, I said, "Oh, I see. I that's see what's right. going on, especially if it's you walking out." So anyway, that's perfect. That's awesome. Well, Matt. Dude, give us your origin story, man. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Someone once had told me, you know, if you stop getting those butterflies, if you stop getting excited, that's the time to get out. Like, mm. time to stop speaking and oh, stuff like that. Right. Because, yeah, I mean, I think those those are what make you great. And you're able to be able to speak and see your wife leaving and wonder <laughs> what you did wrong and what's going to happen when you get home. Yeah, um, so I have... Uh, quickly learned that uh, when you introduce yourself down here in Florida, you tell, you know, I'm sixth Floridian, and that's that's awesome. <laughs> Everybody introduces that. I, I am not. I actually grew up in northeastern Pennsylvania, Wilkes-Barre, Scranton, so most people know Scranton from the, the office. office. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So that's our claim to fame up there. They would bus in the office people and send them around the parades at, uh, you know, all the major events, uh, 4th of July, and they'd wave, and we would get excited, and it was great. It's a great, great, great place. Uh a lot like Gainesville, just a really good community, good people, people trying to do the best. It was awesome. Um, so I grew up there, went to school at Wilkes University. Uh, it was a small little school, uh, a place that I absolutely loved, helped me, mentored me, guided me, fell in love with this idea of human behavior, helping people. Um, and I really wanted to do it in a, a place where I could take people who uh, wanted more out of life, more purpose, more passion, and found leadership. So I uh, started doing some research in leadership, knew that I, teaching was what I wanted to do. I felt uh, most comfortable in that setting. So I went to Columbia University in New York City. It was awesome living in New York City in your 20s. Um, I loved Columbia. It was a great place to learn, to grow, to be in the business school, to learn a little bit about leadership, to do a number of different things. Uh, and then September 11th happened, and I decided uh, through that experience that I really wanted to be closer to family. I wanted to get back to the community that I grew up in. So I moved back to Wilkes-Barre, and um, man, it was the right choice. Started teaching at Wilkes with this idea that I would go back and get my PhD, and, and eventually I did. I went to Gonzaga uh, University, a small little basketball school. Uh, March Madness does well yeah. every year. Uh, so we went out there, and I got a PhD in leadership studies. There's only a few places back then who, who gave a PhD in leadership studies, and I felt like if I could learn everything I could possibly learn about this topic, that that would add some value to the world. And, and I, I got my PhD, went back to Wilkes, uh, started doing some consulting because I felt hollow in this idea that if I just taught theory, if I just taught what was in a book, that I would never really truly understand how it worked in, in real life. So started working with some amazing companies, uh, Mohegan Sun Casino and Lazy Boy and 
just really great places uh, that taught me a whole lot about leadership and a whole lot about how what we know from a theory perspective or a research perspective doesn't work at all, actually, when it comes push comes to shove. Um, but my, my true origin story, I guess, is, um, you know, I'm a father. Like, like you, you know, I'm a, I'm a husband. Um, I, I often introduce myself. Like, that's, that's a big part of who I am, uh, and I think it's important. I have a, a wonderful daughter who's kind of always in angst about Facebook. She's 21, and her boyfriend, and all those different things. And I have two boys. I have uh, Chase and Carter. Carter's uh, nine, and Chase is seven. And I always, I always tell a story, kind of understand who I am. When we had two boys, two things became my responsibility. It was the birds and bees talk, and we'll definitely do that when they're 40. And then the <laughs> other thing is uh, potty training. My wife said, you know how to use the equipment. You go ahead, use the equipment, show them how to do it. And I lined Carter up when he was three, and, and Carter is absolutely the reason we had Chase. He's awesome, he's kind, he's sweet, and Chase is the reason we stopped having children. He has every gray hair on my head. Um, so Carter lines up, and, and like every good father, I Google, you know, how do you teach a kid to potty train? Because my wife doesn't believe at all that I'm gonna be able to do this. And says, take some Cheerios and toss them into to, to a bowl. Uh, so I did, I went in there, I tossed them in the bowl, and I said, aim, and he delivered. I walk out, I'm pounding my chest, I'm feeling like, bang, I got this. Chase turns three, and I go, this is easy. I got this now. So I go in and I throw the, the Cheerios in and Chase lines up and then he reaches in and he eats them. And I think, like, <laughs> how does that even happen? Like, how do two people who come from the same parents, the same training, and, and, and I quickly realized, and it really helped me with this leadership stuff, that, like, human behavior, when we talk about relationships and how we help people lead, like, it's different. It's different for everybody. And we have to figure out a way to really connect with people so that they can learn how to lead, they develop, and then ultimately it works for them and their purpose and their passion. So it's a little bit about my origin story. <laughs> I bet you were so proud. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> a proud leader dad. Just absolutely, yeah, like, gosh, I can't even get this right. Oh, man, that's right. Uh, well, I mean, what do you guys want to talk about when it comes to leadership? Because <laughs> I feel like there's there's so much. I mean, what's... I mean, let's just start with the probably the what's the best lesson that you ever learned in leadership? You know, one of the things let me just touch on something yeah, quick and, and then I'm going to turn it over to Matthew, because because one of the things that I talked about in, in my book with Tony Dungy on leadership and it, this was not um, this was not where I thought the leadership book was headed. And, and I had crafted it and put a lot of thoughts together and watched Tony and watched other coaches and had all these ideas on leadership and priorities and values and keeping things in line and. And then Tony, when he looked through it all, he said, that's great, but you're not talking enough about building other leaders. And so the book became The Mentor Leader. And it was, how are we building other leaders around us? And Tony felt strongly when he was with the Colts that he, when he retired someday, he didn't want to leave a vacuum of leadership. And so he was intentionally trying to create other leaders. And so when he stepped aside, Jim Caldwell took over and, and they went to a Super Bowl. And so Tony, to Tony, that was a success as far as building other leaders. And and it seems like that ties in, and, and I'm going to put him on the spot because I'm not sure how he'd say it, but something about humility and, and leadership and all that feels like it's going to be tied into that organically as far as when we're leading for our own sake, when we're trying to do it, it, it doesn't have the same, it doesn't resonate, I don't think. It doesn't have, it turns into manipulation if it's about us, but when, it, when we lead for the sake of others and building other leaders, I think it actually is better for all of us around, whether it's the community, the organization, whatever it is. And, and I have a feeling the good doctor is going to have some thoughts on humility and how that ties in, but I hope so, because I'm fascinated well, by that. Well, can I give you a, a real quick story on humility? I would love it. 
Nathan and I went out to lunch. <laughs> and I don't know if you remember this, but somebody Cafe came, C. Yeah, Cafe C. Somebody came up and I don't know, I think they had just recognized me and I was saying hi. And I was like, oh, this is my friend Nathan, you know, and, and Nathan extended his hand and said, hey, how are you doing? Nice to meet you. And the person said, you know, I feel I feel like I, I know you or I've met you somewhere or, or something something like that. And I mean, and, and the, the lady was like, well, so what do you do? And he was like, oh, I'm a writer or like I'm an author <laughs> and they just really left it at that and I mean there wasn't like you didn't like extend a resume and I, I don't for somebody who was just there having lunch with you that's the first time that's the first time we met right or no we had met at like a networking right. event one time but um, but I had invited him out to lunch and um, and I just remember that that moment it just resonated with me and I was like man like talk about being humble and having you know I well, it I figured just, I figured my T-shirt that said nine New York Times bestsellers was enough. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but I don't know. Just it is. It's a, it's a trait that I think when I don't know you you, you it's it, it's a trait that you have to experience. I think for me, like I like experienced that that moment, and I was just really um, inspired by it. I guess is what I say. And I don't I don't I think sometimes you don't even really realize that those little things that you are doing and your behaviors on a daily basis like can inspire somebody else who's sitting at the lunch table with you. You know what I mean? So that's right. Wow. Well thanks. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. That. Usually yeah. I'm a bad example for people. So <laughs> thanks for sharing that. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, no, I think I think this idea of humility is tremendously important. We were talking a little bit earlier about it. Uh, you know, whether it's Tony Dungy, we can, we can kind of go through leaders and, and what you find is those leaders who have sustained success over a period of time really have that leadership. And, man, I'm not the first person to talk about it. it most managers have good to great on their bookshelf. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Jim Collins talks a lot about this idea of humility and determination as being really important pieces of that. And even somebody like Steve Jobs, who was probably, uh, you know, the biggest narcissist out there, uh, in his first go at Apple, talks about and is quoted as saying stuff like, it, it was the worst tasted medicine I ever had was this idea of humility, but it made me most successful in the second run because I learned and I took feedback and I grew and I, I, I understood people's talents and I was able to use those finally. So this idea of, you know, I, I don't think humility is the opposite of, of overconfidence. I think it probably helps people who are overconfident be overconfident, but also understands from a real accurate perception, you know, how do they lead? How do they engage? And, and you can be both confident and humble. Um, but but often we talk about modesty. And I think that fake modesty or modesty is kind of that outward, uh, I want you to see me as something. But truly, humility is about us. It's about understanding where we're at. And I love that. I love that example that you gave because that's that's humility. It's not modesty. It's this idea that in this setting, that person probably doesn't need to know that I have, you know, nine New York. Like, I don't need to go in and tell this person. I just need to be engaged with this person. I need to ask them questions. I need to. And I think that's really good humility. So uh, I think that's why that story is just awesome, because it's that proper perspective for me. And you were asking about best advice I ever got. I truly believe that at, at the core of it, Leadership really comes down to perspective, and we, we need to understand our perspectives and, and how we engage with others. Um, something like, you know, that Undercover Boss show is like, that's such a funny show because people are amazed by it. They, they're enthralled by it, but it's the CEO who's completely forgot everything about why these people are important. Then they go back and they spend some time with them. They become what they say is humble. 
they're so shocked that these people really resonate with their organizations and then they give them tons of stuff because of it, which is probably not humility at all. It's more modesty. It's more of this idea that I want people to see me as a particular way. Those who truly become humble probably all along know that these people are the reason their organization is successful. I mean, it's what I've seen in you, it's the reason I, I, I think you're an amazing leader is because I always see you putting out, your, you know, the relationships you have with those who work with you, how important it is. And I don't think you ever forget, you know, without them, the screw shop doesn't run or this doesn't run. And that's a really kind of humbling perspective. So, yeah, I, I love the idea of humility. And, and really, it's the research that I've engaged in. I think if we had more humility, we wouldn't see the problems we're seeing now uh, in so many cases, CEOs, politics, communities, those sort of things. I think it's a lesson we could all learn. And geez, it was funny, yesterday, uh, the Wall Street Journal published an article that said, uh, you know, why humility makes the best managers and stuff like that. So it's starting to come around. I think we're starting mm -hmm. to see the need for it. I think we need to probably redefine what humility means because people see it as you know thinking low less of someone or less of themselves and that's probably not the the true definition of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in that, like, is that the is that the best quality of Coach Dungey? I think that really is a fantastic quality of his. And and as Amy, my wife, always tells people, you know, what you see is what you get with Tony. And and that was really uh, an important part of wanting to write his book was seeing that every day behind the scenes. Um, you know, the year I was with the Bucks um, was a really tough year. We, we started the year three and four, and, and it was like the third year in a row, Tony was rumored to be fired. And so the Tampa Trib and the St. Pete Times, which back in the day were separate newspapers, and uh, they were all writing articles, you know, and who could be the most scandalous as far as when he'd be fired and, you know, get things really ramped up. And, and Tony was just, he said, you know, we're not gonna change what we do and we're gonna stick with what we do. We're not gonna change anything, we're not gonna panic. You know, he said, leaving the game plan is a sign of panic and panic is not our game plan from Chuck Knoll. So he would always say stuff like that and I, I realized that that's just exactly who he is. And so I asked him one time late in the season, he and I were alone in the locker room and, and I said, you know, I just wanna thank you for your witness in light of, in light of what's gone on and, and the way you've conducted yourself. And, and he said, Nathan, I really think that there are times when God wants there to be a circus so that people can see there's another way to respond. And, and it was really, it was not like a, hey, we just roll with the punches, hey, whatever. He said, no, I think I'm supposed to be here and to be going through this so that people can watch me. And that, I think, there was a lot of humility in that. It wasn't ever about Tony. It was about, it wasn't about whether he's gonna be fired, whether he's gonna, he said, no, I'm supposed to, you know, whatever I can do to help others in this situation. And uh, so while the rest of us are panicking and, you know, I'm making sure my contract's all in line. I've been there six months and I'm already revising my contract, <laughs> making sure it's all set, reworking it with the GM in case I get fired. And, um, and I even told Tony years later, I showed him, I, I was in charge of keeping the three ring binder of other coaching candidates during the season. So that's how awful it was. I mean, here, Tony and I are really close and they're working on the owners are telling us to look at other coaching candidates. So I've got it hidden in my drawer. Oh, man. As we're going through and we're hoping we're going to win. And I'm like, oh, this is awful. He's still your friend. He is. He, he kind of, <laughs> I told him, he kind of went, wow. But uh, I said, I didn't want to. I didn't mean to. And I put all lousy candidates in there. <laughs> Actually, that was the GM strategy. Our GM was like, he went to the owners and he said, look, here are the folks out there. And if you were looking at all these and being objective and, and you put Tony in the mix, Tony would come to the top of this list. So that he went in there and said, don't make a change. And oh, of course, nice. They, they didn't like Rich's theory, but uh, anyway. So that was what we were trying to do with that. But Tony was all about, it's not about me. Ultimately, it's not about me. It's it's about what I'm supposed to do, where I am, and 
and how can I help others? And so that was a huge part of writing this book and wanting to do that and how he leads and, and who he is. I mean, well, this is a little off topic, but what's it like having Tony Dungy as your friend? <laughs> I mean, I'm just kind of like, dude, this is like so awesome. That's a great I mean, question. just be able to like pick up the phone and be like, hey, you know, this was like I got this going. I mean, I don't know, just having that as a friend. I mean, I mean, he's an amazing coach, amazing leader. I mean, yeah, what's that like? <laughs> That's the question. <laughs> well, it's it's funny. It's it certainly changes the way I look at. Uh, uh, sports teams and the like, because I'll text him and I'll go, hey, why in the world would they re-sign a guy like this? You know, think of a total cancer on a team, right? Somebody who's always acting out or kicking the uh, kicking the kicking net over on his team's sideline or, you know, whatever. You yeah, fill yeah. in the blank on whoever that might be. <laughs> and I'll say to Tony, uh, what are they thinking? And he'll come back with, uh, you know, there's that's no way to build a team. you got to be kidding me. I, would, I wouldn't want that guy, let alone anchor my whole future around him. Um, so anyway, it's just kind of fun to be able to bounce things off him. Uh, I tried to explain to my wife when, when Tony was becoming an analyst, when he, re, when he uh, retired from coaching and went into broadcast stuff, I tried, to, um, I tried to explain to my wife something about what was going on in the field on that particular day. And then we turned on the broadcast because it was going to be Tony's first broadcast. And he said, okay, now here, let me show you a little bit about safety play. And he took a couple of clips and Amy went, is that what you were trying to tell me? Because it's so clear when Tony does it. <laughs> so it's nice to have somebody who can explain things clearly and succinctly and, and has a real good perspective on everything. So so it's fun. I mean, when the f- first book came around, I mean, it sounded like he wasn't sure about whether or not to write one. Right. He wanted no part of it. He said, he said nobody wants to read about me, and I'm not sure I have anything to share. And so he was. we didn't know how publishing worked. But he thought, you know, he was going to end up with a garage full of books with his picture on it uh, that we couldn't sell. So, uh, so anyway, he always wanted no part of it. And then after his son died, um, Tony and I were talking along the way, and and he said, you know, I feel like I do have more to share now. Uh, he said, so many parents have reached out to me, and he said, sadly, this is, I'm not the first parent who's gone through this, and there are a lot of parents who are dealing with this. And he said, thankfully, in my position. I'm very visible, and so people have been reaching out to me to help. He said, maybe if there's something I can do to help others, maybe I should do a book. And so that's when he really started thinking about it more seriously. And then, uh, and then he got such a response to his comments on the podium after the Super Bowl, where he said, you know, I'm really proud of being the first African-American coach to win a Super Bowl, but I'm even more proud that we did it the Lord's way. And got such a response to that that he thought, you know, maybe there is more that uh, people would be interested in. Yeah, and from my perspective, I feel like he's leading all the time. Like, I mean, I, and what I mean by that is like, I follow him on like Twitter and that kind of thing, and like he's not afraid to to speak his to speak right. his mind and right. and really kind. Of, I mean, I don't know if you'd say calling out others, but he's kind. Of, you know, I've seen him direct tweet other people, and and it's almost like he's holding them accountable to their actions via Twitter. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's, yeah. it's uh, I don't know, again, it's inspiring, it's cool to see. Yeah, so he's a neat guy. That's neat. So yeah. what's the, I guess, staying on this leadership topic, going from best, you know, starting at the best, like what what's like the worst trait that you guys have seen in a leader personally? Well, you want me to start? Yeah, that sounds great. Okay. All right. So one of the things that I've seen is 
and we talked about this a little bit before we started broadcasting, so this would be good. I'll, I'll get a chance to share. You were worried all the good stories would be gone. Um, <laughs> and thankfully, I don't have any good stories. So, no. Um, I did start I, recording like two and a half minutes before like doing my intro because I was perfect. so nervous that you guys were going to keep talking about really good stuff. <laughs> well, one of the things I saw in organizations was that a lot of times there wasn't a mission or a vision that was set forth. Mm. And I think that... One, it, it doesn't help empower anybody or, or engage or energize people um, if there's no clear goal or, or state of mission they're reaching out toward. It also then creates an opportunity for someone leading uh, to make it about them. So I've been in organizations where we were, to use Patrick Lencioni's term, you know, everybody's in a silo. And that was by design of the leader. And they wanted to keep you over here and you over here. And, and so, um, and it wasn't very, uh, it didn't function very well when you had you know, folks in the scouting department who are trying to understand uh, who's out there and who's going to come available in free agency, but they can't value them because the people in the salary cap part who are dealing with the money um, aren't communicating with how the cap works and what the ramifications are. And so you'd get these reports and you'd realize, well, I can't really do anything with this because this person doesn't understand what this other person is doing. And there was very little. And so the only person who then ultimately understands is kind of the one who's in the leadership position who keeps everybody in their boxes. And, and I think that's hard. And it doesn't help as, you know, Tony was working the other direction with the Colts to try to make sure he built up other leaders. It didn't help anybody then move into the next level. Um, so anyway, I think that was, to me, that was one of the things that was that was a deficiency when, when it wasn't, hey, here's what we're doing and here's why we're all doing it. And so let's all rally around that. Instead, it became a, I'll go to work and I'll do what's on my plate and, and take care of that. And so everybody was kind of doing their own thing without integrating into a, into a team. Uh, we were a team in that we were near each other, but we were not necessarily a team in that we were integrated and working together. Do you think that's because so many people just don't know what they want in life? You know, I think it's, I mean, I don't want to simplify it, but I feel like when you're a head coach of a football team, the mission is a Super Bowl win. At least, maybe, maybe yeah. not, maybe not in the macro, but I feel like in the very micro setting, it's like, we, we need to win the Super Bowl. So we need to pull the team together, right. and and that's the mission, right? Like that's that's what we need to do. And now the vision could very much be like I want to build these men, these individuals into men, mm -hmm. right? And like put their life on a track that's going to go beyond the NFL, right? So, but and I, just, I think that's hard, and it's time consuming. Yeah, right? I mean it's easier to I think in some ways do what you saw, and you know you've you've kind of worked your way up, and you've seen certain people do, it, and you're like okay. I get the on the field stuff and I get this other stuff and let's just do that and let me do what's on my plate and take care of this and go on to the next step. And I think it's hard to stop and say, okay, now how am I going to, to, to put this aside and talk to these guys about building into the community and what are they gonna do? And you suspend a guy for not showing up at a school function as Tony did with the Bucks. Mm. Uh, somebody didn't show up for an elementary school appearance that he was going to, uh, going to show up for. And so Tony ended up sitting him down. And, he, and you know that's gotta be really hard when you think, wait, I've the owners just really want me to win today, and they really don't care that the guy didn't show up on Tuesday at at uh, the, the elementary school. And but if you're willing to take the time and say no, this is again a bigger picture, a broader perspective of what I, what I'm trying to accomplish here. Uh, I think you have a I think you have a greater chance of getting everybody on board, but it's a lot more time consuming and a lot takes a lot more energy from the leader. I think. Do you, do you feel like I wonder if it's like fighting the system all the time though? You know, like the NFL as a whole. Like you know, does the NFL that my question is like, I, and maybe you don't know, maybe, maybe this is a, a question for for Tony. But like, does the NFL care if that individual goes to the elementary school? 
Yeah, I think I think it's probably not different than other corporations where the shareholders will say, "Look, all I care about is this quarter's earnings. I really don't care about, you know, don't don't bother me with, you know, whatever you guys are doing in the community or retaining employees or whatever it might be. I just want to make sure you hit earnings." And I think Matthew would tell you, "No, we're not going to hit earnings this quarter or next or 10 quarters down the road if we're not able to build these other leaders around us and build into a team that works and is functional and and is glad to come to work." Um, so I think all these things matter eventually, but I think it's hard to convince folks that the short term needs to keep in mind all the long term stuff as well. Right. That's. I, I mean, I think that's that's true. I think it's a perception issue. I think the perception is we can't have both. We either win or we are good. We either win or we do community service. We either win or. But they're not mutually exclusive by any means. I I really do believe that leaders like Tony have this perception that these things can go together, that we can be successful, we will be successful, and we will help you know boys grow into men, and we will help our community thrive because that's who's sitting in the stands. You know, perception really it plays such a huge role with this leadership because our perception leads to our thoughts and, and our thoughts lead to our actions and our actions lead to our habits. And it's those habits every single day. I mean, that's what Tony does on Twitter. He's leading this uh, undivided life. It's who he is personally and professionally because that's his habits. That's what his perception leads to his thoughts, thoughts leading to actions and actions leading to habits. I always tell a story when trying to talk about this. Uh, so I did some work at Lazy Boy. And, and my whole job at Lazy Boy was to go in and kind of diagnose the organization and tell them they wanted to know why they weren't selling. It's the same thing. Like either you win a Super Bowl or you sell that couch that day. Like everybody has these perceived goals. And, and that's what it's all about. And people would walk in to Lazy Boy. I was sitting there and I was watching. And people would walk into Lazy Boy and you know, they'd be hugging their wives and loving their kids and they would open those double doors up and they would, it, and all of a sudden the sales associate would walk at them and they would think like, oh God, oh, why is this person pressured? Like what's gonna happen here? And they would do the same thing over and over. They would say, just looking and they would stick their hand up in front of this person's face. And I would always be like, my God, where do we do that? Like, where does that ever happen that we feel comfortable saying, we go into your store, say, you know, just looking and stick our hand, and then they would run behind and hide behind a couch, and then eventually they would need somebody. <laughs> it's really this idea that the perception is, oh my God, I'm gonna be pressured, and our thoughts are, how do I get out of that? And our actions are, I feel comfortable in this situation, throwing my hand up in someone's face and making them feel, you know, unwanted, uncared for, un, you know, unappreciated, and that becomes the habit, it happens all the time. I think the nice thing, though, well, is, hold on, hold on. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So did you did you change that perception? So that's what you talk about is what's the perception? Can you change the perception? It's not. I don't think our job. I don't think it's the leader's job to change the perception of the people walking in because that perception changes. So you meet Marge and Marge. But did you shows like? You, did you get people to stop? like going up to people as no. soon as they walk in the so door. So this is the deal, is that if they don't talk to that person within 30 seconds, it's seen as, you know, you're not engaging with the customer. I think instead of doing that, what you talk to the sales associates about is, okay, what's gonna eventually happen? Like, how do we build this relationship and how can we engage the relationship? Two things happened out of that. Uh, so we talked a lot about why it was impacting this store more than other stores. It ended up coming down to, they were much more feeling oriented and much more uh, extroverted, so they needed that stuff. So we talked a little bit about that. But two things came out of this. One is the realization that you meet Marge, Marge sends, you know, sells you or shows you the perfect couch. You leave because you're not gonna buy that day. But the next time you walk in there, you don't stick your hand up, you look for Marge. You're saying, where's Marge? So through experience, we can shape perception. And that's what leaders have to do. They have to have these experiences. And I loved 
Tony's story because that's exactly what happened is he doesn't want to sell his book. He, for some reason, believes that he's not this amazing leader before it happens with his son. Then the thing with his son happens, he has his experience and his perception changes that now I have an opportunity. And I really think that's true about all leaders is that experience will shape people's perceptions, their thoughts, their actions. What one guy ended up doing there it was awesome. So we're right outside of Philadelphia in, in uh, northeastern PA. He would have people walk in. And if the, a lady walked in with her, her husband and they did that immediate thing, he would say to them, oh, my gosh, are you a Cowboys fan? And the people would become like, no, wh- why would you say I'm a, I'm a Eagles fan? Why would you? And it would immediately start a relationship. And then we'd say, oh, my gosh, that's my bad. You, so you're an Eagles fan. Do you like the quarterback? And they would start engaging around this conversation. So it would never happen where they would say, you know, we don't need you right now. And it was just a way to change people's perception of why they were doing it. It's just one example. I, I really like think that he was there to help, yeah, and not necessarily. I mean, think there. about this. So we, you know, this probably doesn't apply to you because you do this every day. But for the the person listening right now, imagine you walk through your your double doors, you bust them open, and you go talk to your coworker tomorrow. Tomorrow, you walk through those doors and you say. My God, Sally, today is the greatest day ever. I am so blessed to be working in this organization. You are an amazing person. You know, what does she say? She probably says, oh my gosh, it's too early to be drinking mimosas, or, (laughs) you know, why is happy hour started at nine? But then you do it the next day. And maybe she says, you know what, why is this happening? But if you do it 21 days in a row, three weeks in a row, you bust those double doors open, you go in, you say, it's an amazing day. I'm so blessed, Sally, to be working with you. This is an amazing company. On the 22nd day, you go in, quietly open the door, sit down at your desk, turn on your computer and don't say anything. What's Sally going to say? She's, she's going to be like, what's wrong? Oh, my sure. God. What's happening? Are you okay today? We can change people's perception of us, and we can change our own perception. And that's really what leadership is about. It's about having experience or giving people experiences so that they can change perceptions. So if you want to change your culture, you know, you're going to have to have those experiences that shape this idea that it's not just about winning. And when you start doing that, when you start having those moments where the community really matters and you can engage with that, or, you know, you have a tough life event and the coach shows up at the hospital, whatever it may be, all the things that Tony has done, when you have those experiences, people say it's different and this is a different culture and we can win and we can have, you know, this amazement happen right in front of us. And you know, I mean, you know that. I've seen you do that. Every single day here, so you Stop know those experiences. Stop trying to make me sound like oh I'm God. a great guy. Stop it. Host, I gotta make you sound good. You know. <laughs> you know, on those lines, one of the uh, one of the really things, and I think it comes to down to some authenticity, and it's got to be kind of who you are, and because I think it'll be hard to do on the 22nd day if I'm if I'm really not wanting to be that person or becoming that person, then it, I think eventually. I don't That's know, right. But, yeah, but right. there's got to be, and, and one of the really cool stories I heard, speaking of Cowboys, uh, Wade Phillips, former coach of the Cowboys, and, and he was scheduled to do a nonprofit on like a Monday evening. Uh, he's going to do a charitable event, and, and so I, I happen to know the folks who were running that event, and they were telling me later, you know, that, that it was the day that Wade was fired after, and I forget what, but, but they lost, so he goes in Monday morning, Jerry Jones fires him, and, and then mm-hmm. they were telling me later, Wade was there. And, you know, it's two hours after he'd been fired, so now he's no longer, you know, head coach of the Cowboys. Now he's showing up as the deposed coach of the Cowboys, and he's still at this event. And they were like, thank you so much. And he's like, why wouldn't I have come? I told you I was going to come. And this is an amazing event that you've got. And, you know, this, this function is for this really worthwhile thing. Why would I have not come? And it was never about, hey, I'm showing up because I'm coach of the Cowboys. It was I'm showing up because this is important and this is what I need to be doing. And so I think a lot of times if the leadership's that authentic, then again, you know, it had to be totally embarrassing, right? You show up in public two hours later and you know everybody's going to want to talk about 
why'd you get fired? Why are the Cowboys underachieving? Whatever. And he's like, no, this is about this is about these kids and, and these underprivileged kids, and so of course I'm going to show up. And isn't that why leadership training doesn't work and leadership development doesn't work? Because people get excited for the two weeks, three weeks, one speaking engagement they go to. They leave there. They say, oh my gosh, I'm going to be better. I, this is awesome. I took these notes. You know, we'll all run Wait, wait, wait. My speaking engagement worked. <laughs> totally worked. That's right. But I, this is this. Everybody but you. This, uh, that's uh, that's uh, <laughs> That's the, that's the idea is that people authentically haven't changed. So they go back and for two days, three days, four days. So if you do it for 21 days, people will see it different. But then the next 21 days, if you don't, they'll go back. And that's what yeah. always happens is that people fundamentally haven't changed from that experience. So how do we give people experiences? How do we help them understand those experiences so that they can fundamentally change in that process? Because you have to change. I mean, you have to be a different leader if you want to have those things occur. Right. And I think part of that, too, in the authenticity, one of the things that... that um, Tony really was excited about sharing his story, and then when I talked him into doing the leadership book, so every every time we'd have a book come out, Tony would say, "Okay, that's it. I'm done. I don't have anything else to share." So the publisher and I would go back with, you know, "Hey, uh, this is the Nathan Whitaker Full Employment Act. I need that's to talk right. him into the next book." That's right. And so we tell him, "Wow, you know, the world really needs that's a book awesome. on values from you, or the world really needs yep. a book on leadership." Um, but one of the things that really excited Tony about leadership and about um, uh, about being able to share that was that he would see from so many coaches, hey, I need to become Nick Saban, or hey, I need to become, you know, whoever it was at the time who was the hot name or the whatever. And, and Tony's saying, hey, nothing wrong with, with his style of leadership, but you don't have to change who you are. That there may be ways in which you have to be more intentional or have to be more uh, outward thinking as far as how you're relating to people, but, but it's really hard to change just intrinsically who you are. And so these folks would, would end up in leadership positions and they'd decide, well, I've now got to become the, the blustery, dictatorial, whatever, when that's not who they were. And that's not who they're really designed to be internally. And so I think part of what Tony wanted to share is, look, if you're loud and gregarious and whatever, great. If you're quiet and introspective like me, great. And, and you just need to make sure that you're doing some of these things that, that will help you lead and influence others, but you don't have to change who you are. And I think that's important to keep sight of and easy to lose sight of along the way. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that even goes deeper into this idea that if you're running a great business and you feel passionate about it, other people can't sell your story. So they have to find their own passion in that and their own story and their own authenticity in that. If we just tell people how to feel about our mission or our values, it never works. I mean, it will never work for that emerging leader who has to find it themselves. They have to figure out how they're going to tell their story about the company, about their experience, and those sort of things. And it's really hard to tell people is it just doesn't come from a high, you know, this decree of here's our mission, here's our values, here's our vision. People have to really, truly have that experience where they feel that or engage with that. I, mm-hmm. I think that that's so true. I can just sit here and just watch you guys talk about this all day. <laughs> this guy's good. This guy's good. Ty, what do you got for these yeah, guys, man? Nathan, I wanted to get a few more insights on the differences in leadership strategies from some of the other head coaches you've worked with, with Coughlin, Gruden, mm-hmm. and Dungey, all Super Bowl winners, mm-hmm. all very different personalities. Maybe Coughlin and Dungey are a little bit more similar than Gruden, mm-hmm. um, plus I'm an Oakland Raiders fan. So. Okay. Um, but... Speak on that a little bit and then how the ownership groups or the management kind of leads from above uh, guys like Dungy with the Glazers. You know, they are businessmen. They own Manchester United and a ton of other things. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just a part of their kind of portfolio to some owners while others like Jerry Jones, you know, it's like their heart and soul. Right. Um, So if you kind of speak on how, you know, from a leadership strategy 
if there's leaders above you, how you kind of interact as a leader with someone that's managing you and your group and just how that all has interacted um, in your experiences. Okay. I'll touch on a little bit, but I really want to hear Matthew on this yeah. because I think it's very hard and it's very hard to do. Uh, you know, I think it's important to realize that leadership is not necessarily positional. So there, uh, there's always going to, almost always going to be somebody above me. And so how do I lead when I'm not necessarily the person with the ultimate authority? Um, and that, that's true of, you know, Tony or Tom Coughlin or whatever, when there's an owner above them or others, or certainly me as the, you know, director of legal affairs, whatever that means in a, in a football team and then having people above me and, and what it means to lead. But uh, so a couple of differences. So <laughs> Coach Coughlin was always thinking leadership all the time. He had patent books and other things on the wall and or on his shelves and then pictures on the wall. And he was always thinking about leadership. And and one of the interesting things that, that uh, Tom did with respect to creating habits and the like was that when he came into Jacksonville, he instituted a lot of rules that guys were chafing under and thought that they were very um, college-oriented, that he had just come from Boston College and a very successful run there. And so, you know, you can't wear sunglasses outside and you can't, you got both feet on the floor during team meetings and other things like that. And 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 uh, and guys were thinking, you know, hey, I'm, I've been in the league eight years. I can I can handle myself and I know what to do at a team meeting and I can pay attention. And, and then the guys didn't really notice it, but by year three and four, Tom was relaxing some of those. And he always felt like it was a, it was easier to relax something than it was to, and so he wanted to set the standard. And then if that didn't work over time, or could be it could be adjusted, versus um, setting a standard beneath where he thought it should be, and then trying to ratchet it up. So he, I think he intentionally overshot with here's how I want to do this, and here's what I want to accomplish. Um, you know, part of where where this all comes together, um, I think, and it, it's it's how you're how you're in. We talked about who you are and and the like, and and I think. That when you try to get away from how you um, how you really are wired, it, it doesn't really always play well. And one of the ways that came out was in the um, in the construction of the roster. The 53rd guy on the roster usually doesn't play a whole lot. It's usually a fifth string cornerback or a sixth linebacker or a sixth receiver, somebody who might play some special teams. Probably didn't get in the, on the field a lot. And so Coach Coughlin would would always be looking at the waiver wire and seeing if there was somebody else, maybe some diamond in the rough that everybody else had missed on. And so you're in week eight and somebody's not on an NFL roster, you know, maybe we sign them and get rid of the 53rd guy. <clears throat> rarely works. I mean, ton of scouts out there, ton of folks. So rarely is there somebody on the street in week eight who really is going to make a huge difference. But he thought, let's just, let's just try that. If the guy's not playing much, let's just take a look at whoever else might be out there. And then John, <clears throat> at one point, uh, cut a guy, 53rd guy, and said, you know, find me somebody, find me a receiver. So he didn't have the diamond in the rough thought. He just wanted to. And so we said, why'd you do that? And he said, well, I wanted to keep everybody on their toes. And just kind of, you know, I wasn't sure the 53rd guy was completely on board and whatever. I wanted to keep everybody on their toes. So I cut the guy and just find somebody else for me. Whereas with Tony, um, we rarely turned over that, that 53rd spot. And we would occasionally, if somebody's injured or whatever, we'd have to find somebody. But, but by and large, we wouldn't turn over that spot. And Tony would say, look, all I've... From day one, I preached family. And I said, you know, if you ever are at practice and I hear that you're neglecting family responsibilities or whatever, later, I'm gonna be upset. So come to me with family things, but also we are family. And and Tony said, so you don't cut your uncle, right? Or you don't cut your cousin because you're not sure that he's working out. You just do everything you can to make that work. And so because that was a part of the intrinsic values, then that that then dealt with how he was gonna lead the team and who he was, how he was going to construct the roster and why. and. 
so anyway, I think that's a that's a long-winded answer um, yeah. to your question. But I think that that being true to who you are and those values then comes back to, you know, and 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 none of those were wrong. I don't think in the approach, but because Tony was saying from the beginning, here's here's how we're going to do this, that then influenced that. But John had a different approach, which totally I totally get if somebody's not always paying attention, uh, or whatever, you know. Whereas whereas Tony was thinking, all right, if he's not, let me sit down with him and see if we can get to a better spot um, before we have to take any extreme actions. So that was a part of it. Um, I feel like there was another part of the question that I could have addressed, but uh, but it's escaped me. Just from like the, the ownership side. So. Oh, and the ownership side too. So so you've got a variety of owners, yeah. and, and I think that also um, influences things. So early in Tony's career, Malcolm Glazer was the owner, and Mr. Glazer felt like uh, this was, I don't know if an investment's the right word, but he wanted to focus on on the overall organization and and really kind of left it to the football people to run the football. And then he stepped back um, about the time I arrived and his sons had then grown up in the business and spent now five or six years. And so they got much more heavily involved. And, and so we saw a lot of that where um, certainly by the time Tony left and then we had Coach Gruden, we had uh, ownership far more involved. And so that was that created a whole other level of dynamic in in trying to, um, and I think a lot of it is is educating along the way, is just making sure that people understand what you're doing and why. And that was an interesting thing that Tony did, is that Tony would have the media in, they would eat with us. They would come through the food line with the team, and so we'd be sitting around and they'd be all around and whatever. And I've been with other teams where, you know, Coach Coughlin was very clear on these are the media areas, these are the team areas. And Tony's approach was, whether it's ownership or media or whatever, I may as well educate them on what I'm trying to accomplish. And that's that's always going to be helpful for me and for our team if they understand what we're trying to do. And so I think that was helpful at times. Um, but what you see sometimes with ownership, and, and it, you know, I'd be curious to hear how this works in other industries, but Tony was called by another team owner and after he had retired. He was called by another team owner and and asked to help on a head coaching search. And Tony said, you don't need me. And, and the owner said, you know, well, I think it's I think it'd be helpful to have you in here. And Tony said, look, you've got a four billion dollar business and it's in all these cities and doing all these things. All you're doing is hiring a leader for the football team. And the guy said, no, no, no. Football's totally different. These things, these qualities don't translate to football. Football's unique and it's its own animal. And Tony said, absolutely not. It's really not. You're hiring a CEO for the football team. And so look for the qualities of the CEO that you would and the owner said, "No, it's different. You got to come." <laughs> so, so it's interesting how some people will will not fall back on what they've learned or what they, and they view it as now I'm in a different situation. Nothing I've learned before applies here, which I think is is I think that happens at times when people get promoted or find themselves in a different spot. They think, "Okay, now I have to. This is different. What are the new rules?" When a lot of times it's everything you've done before to reach that spot and all that you've learned and and developed. Um, any thoughts on that? No, I, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that that goes back to that authenticity piece. It's amazing to me how difficult it is for us uh, collectively to understand the important relationships in this. And we, mm-hmm. we, we miss that and we keep missing it. And I, I think what you've talked about with Tony and with the other coaches uh, is this idea or this difference between a culture of health or a culture of of, of dealing with disease sort of thing. So if you think about it this way, we go to a doctor you know, every six months for a checkup and that's so that they can find things before they become really bad in, in that process. Now, if you only wait till something gets really bad until you have you know, stage four cancer or something, like at that point, 
what you can do with it as a leader or as a doctor, it's very limited. It's very limited. But if you have that check-in, if you let people know that you care about them, you're engaged with them, you set up that culture of health instead of just dealing with things. And that's often what I find with leaders is they don't worry about something until it's way too late to deal with it. So they'll call someone in to do a training or they'll call someone in to speak or, you know, a couple of years back I had, uh, it was during Y2K, we, we had a, a group call, call myself and some others up to do emotional intelligence training. It was a big buzzword back then. Can you do emotional intelligence training? And, and I was just starting out in consulting. So I was like, anything that people called me up, I was like, oh, of course I can do that. That's definitely something I can do. And then I would figure I'd learn it and then I'd go out and do it. Um, and it was funny because I, I remember at that moment, like this divine intervention of saying, like, just ask why, just ask why, like, why do they need this training? And I asked and they said, oh my gosh, we have our IT group working in 12 hour shifts seven days a week to get ready for Y2K and there's only four of them and one threw a water cooler at another. So if you can come in and do that training, <laughs> we can get them going and, and back up. And I was like, gosh, what? like this isn't a magic wand. It doesn't work that way. These, you're killing these people in this process. So I think what you talk about with Tony is this idea of an awareness that we need check-ins and we need health and mm -hmm. we need to worry about the relationships where a lot of times we only worry about those when it's way too late or people are fighting or you know we get those silos and they've been there for years and years and that's a ship that's really hard to turn around once it gets to that place. So mm -hmm. yeah, I, I really like what you say about this authenticity. Certainly as you, you grow within a position, you know, who, knowing who you are and then being able to Really, the task is important, but the relationship's just as important in mm -hmm. the process. And then, Matt, I've got a couple questions on Please. for students and emerging leaders mm -hmm. or people looking to become leaders for the first time or find a mentor. Um, there's tons of people to choose from. And depending on what mediums you use, if it's podcasts or Facebook or Instagram, there's all sorts of fluff out there, too, or false leaders promising mm -hmm. you know, the world. Um, you know, this like work from anywhere type of stuff and different things. How do you, how would you instruct someone to kind of push through to find someone to emulate or someone as a mentor to fit your personality? Yeah. What's that process look like? Because I think we're all kind of doing that, you know, working with each other and building relationships. We're always trying to get better through working with others. Um, I coach golf and I'm a professional golfer so I'm always looking at different ways to coach and lead and mm -hmm. I teach different people with personalities that are much different and I'm coaching them as much as I'm learning you know as well so someone for the first time that's like hey you know I've been lacking in confidence and leadership how would you tell someone to start yeah you should get Tony Dungy as your yeah. <laughs> there you go. that's it that that's is. the answer to this the answer. I think uh, the Inherently, the problem is people who tend to be really narcissistic leaders have this charismatic, you know, they're really likable at first, they're really engaging at first, so we're naturally att attracted to those leaders. So you often find they're the ones who are most interested in getting a group of mentees. Um, I, I talk to students, I talk to emerging leaders about, uh, you know, holding off on that initial, this is the person I want to be engaged with, yeah. and going out and exploring. Mentoring's an interesting piece. We know mentoring's really important, yet we keep talking about everybody needs a mentor, and I don't know people know how exactly to get a mentor, and it's not, it's a lot like a, a friendship. You don't just go up and say, hey, will you be my mentor today? There has to be a, a relationship that'll work for both people. Uh, if it's just one-sided, like any relationship, I mean, if you think about your your wife, if all of a sudden you say, 
you know, you quit your job and say, I'm just going to sit on the couch and watch CSI episodes, get through Las Vegas and then Miami and then just keep doing that for the rest of your Like, she's going to kick you out. Like, you're not going to be in that relationship because relationships work because they're two ways. They're, they're repeat relationships and they engage with each other. So I think that's true with mentoring. You have to find someone who, who builds a relationship and wants to see you develop and wants to see you grow. You can certainly ask people for help. You can certainly learn from people. I think that's different than mentoring. Um, I think every time you go to an amazing uh, uh, speech like Nathan's, you're learning something, you're engaging. You know, I don't think it's, he's immediately your mentor then. I think you can be uh, learning and growing and developing by all of the people who have done this before. But that true mentorship thing is really, really important. And I think it's a relationship. And you find people who connect with your values that ultimately see the way uh, the world the way you see it and not in a short-sighted way where I'm only going to believe people who believe what I believe but but this this really connection around where am I going what's my purpose and does this person have a similar connection a similar uh, purpose in this Um, you know Simon Sinek talks about this idea of people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And I think you have to find out why people do what they do. And that's where really good mentorship happens. So I encourage students to not just jump at a a professor who's pretty charismatic and can talk about this and you really buy into his leadership. Find one that really buys into what you believe and and where you're going in the world and really get to know people. So it's going to take some time to get to know people in that process. And you'll know pretty quickly if that person has time, has engagement, has has an interest in building that relationship. But I think it's so important. You're talking a little bit about doing some community work. I think that's one of those things that you can absolutely do for Gainesville is is going out and, and talking about how you've been so successful and your values. And people will immediately be attracted to that. And then finding some space to help those people grow and develop. What I loved about what you said is, we have trouble, leaders have trouble training other leaders or having them grow. I think there's a number of reasons we, uh, we are overconfident, we have egos, we have all those things that come with being human. Um, but really, really great, great people like Tony, you said, will we'll go to bat and say, you know what, uh, I don't need this book unless he's coming with me. And my guess is you never worked harder on anything in your life right, right. than that book because of that. And, and that's when people will give you their blood, their sweat and their tears when you go to bat for them and you engage with them. But you can't do that with every single person. So as leaders, we have to be really kind of selective and and, and know what we're looking for and then really engage with that. Because if we promise the world to everybody, man, we just don't deliver. And we can't we can't deliver. And then and then we're not being authentic and then we're losing some piece of who we are in that process. So yeah. Thanks for cool. asking that question. I appreciate it. And that. then the last one I wanted to ask you guys is who do you guys not look up to, but who are some leaders out there that maybe aren't as well known that might have a podcast or a book or a blog, something that the listeners could pick up or read or listen to um, that's maybe a little bit unique or kind of hiding um, out there? Mine is Nathan. Yeah, (laughs) Please read Nathan, uh, read his books, go out and see him speak. I agree. I agree completely. (laughs) That's right. Both of us. Yes. And that's a wrap. You'll be a star leader after that one That's exactly right. Just do that. I'm kind of interested in... uh, This topic has come up a couple times in a couple different podcasts, but scaling, right? Like, I think, you know, I, I look back to when I started the company, it was a lot easier to lead 
two people. <laughs> it's a little more difficult to lead 20 people. Mm-hmm. It's getting much more difficult to lead 30 people in two different teams because I have two different companies now. And it's like, to me, that's super, super challenging. And I mean, something that I like 100% am in love with trying to figure out, but I mean, what advice can you give to somebody who, as teams grow, like you're not, you get less and less one-to-one time, right? Like you're not, if my companies have 300 team members one day, like I'm not gonna have the ability to have as much relationship building time. So what do you do in those instances? How do you scale yourself as a manager and a leader? Yeah, I, I would argue that that's probably the number one problem for entrepreneurs. They come out, they have an amazing idea that's gonna rock the world. They, they actually get it established. That's maybe the easy part. They get some financing. And when I say easy part, I'm comparing it to this idea of human behavior and, and dealing with, you know, when you have two people and you're in it together and you're up late at night and you're caring and you're buying coffee and you're doing mimosas and there's this engagement and this connection and this caring, that's, that's easier than when there's 40 people, 50 people, 60 people and, you know, that, that leader's values and vision, you know, starts to get watered down and isn't connected and, and, and there's a real difficulty, I think, especially from entrepreneurial leadership to make that transition to scale, scaling something much bigger. So how do you do it? I mean, I think it's an ego thing. I think it's, it's, a, it's a stepping back thing. It's a, it's a realization that these people need what you gave them, but maybe not from you. And how do you put the right people in place to do what you were doing? Because you have a limited amount of time and you have priorities. And how are you establishing your priorities? Now, I think what Tony does really well, or at least what I heard, uh, that Tony does really well is to prioritize the things that are really important and building relationships is really important so when you have to go sign a contract or build a relationship maybe someone else can go and sign that contract that you trust and you go out for lunch with that person but it really comes down to what are the, the values the priorities you have often people will get away from those things that made them successful the create being creative is one of those things I talk about um, you know there's great little you know philosophy teacher says he has a jar and he fills it up with golf balls and says is it full I don't know if you've heard this and then mm-hmm. fills it up with sand and says now is it full in the classes yes yes so then he fills it up with rocks or he does rocks first and then sand says it's full is it full is it full and they're always saying yes and the kind of point is that like whatever you fill your life up with that ultimately runs your life if whatever your purpose is your priorities are run your life we often fill our ourselves up with the things that make us feel important so we want to fix the copier machine, or we want, to, we want to be on the floor all the time. But really, the things that you should prioritize are those, those big things that are helping your organization grow. So how are you consistently being creative? How are you building relationships with your folks that, that they know what is important in the organization? You know, how are you ultimately addressing problems in the future? Not just the problem of the copier machine, but you know, all of your equipment and all that stuff. So for me, it's how do you reprioritize what is important to you? Because the priorities that worked for you when you had two employees are very different than the priorities when you have 40 employees in that process. But I'd love to hear your thoughts. No, I think that's great. I think it's fantastic. And I think it, you know, what Tony was, Tony, and, and, and it's hanging on to the things that, again, it's the authenticity, it's the, you know, and it's hard. And so scalability is really more, um, you know, I got a degree in entrepreneurship because finally, this I got a master's um, uh, just a few years ago because the uh, the federal judge that I clerked for 
um, always held it against me that my education was incomplete. Um, and uh, since I had no degrees from the University of Florida, and he had two. And so I finally got a master's here at UF in entrepreneurship. And so I know a little bit of the, of the book learning, but I, I have not been through the scale, because of course, you know, I've scaled my business to now one, right? I've scaled all the way from one to one. Um, but I think, that's, I think that's a real part of it, that Tony had these, these values that were always important as far as family and the like. And so as he grew and as he grew into different roles, he was able to, in different ways, make sure those were still important and people understood those such that, you know, and this is kind of a, a silly example, but, but when he finally was in charge of the schedule, he set team meetings for 8.30, or excuse me, staff meetings. Staff meetings didn't start any earlier than 8.30, and he said it's because none of us coaches are going to be around to tuck our kids into bed, but we can take them to school. And so, you know, if that's, and the coach didn't have to, you know, if an assistant coach didn't want to, he could come in early, whatever. It's, it, it, Tony's not going to dictate what he does, but Tony just wanted to create opportunities and environments where people could um, continue to do the things that he thought was important. And, and if they hopefully had the right people on board who also felt like similar things were important. So I think even as you grow into different roles and different uh, parts of the organization, hanging on to those things you think are important and making sure you build those in uh, matters, whether it's two people or 40 or 400. But that's a that's a challenge. I do want to circle back to Ty's answer because while you guys were talking, I was able to buy time to think of of a couple of podcasts and others that I've listened to. Mm, okay. So two thoughts. One. So this is a total dark horse answer, but there was a guy, um, Colby Donovan, who was a um, basketball manager here at UF under Billy Donovan, no relation, um, and then under Mike White for a bit, and he's now off working. And he puts together a list every week of podcasts. And so it's always different, but he'll go, oh, I heard this episode. So go to season eight, episode 14 or whatever of whatever. And it's, and, and so he puts together a list of, uh, leadership, business, whatever principles in different, um, in different environments. And so I'll listen to, he'll put together 10 a week. And so I'll listen to like two of those, but it's always a different smorgasbord. And I find that very helpful that he's willing to go out and do these podcasts. Um, the other is, or, or sort through them for me. Uh, the other one is coaching you, uh, it's called like you as in university, and it's um, Brendan Sir was a uh, a coach for the Pistons under Chuck Daly, and he was here with Billy, and he's he's been in a variety of places, been in the NBA and college for thirty years, but he's now put together a podcast, and so he'll have you know an assistant with the Celtics speak this week, and then he'll have Brad Stevens, the head coach of the Celtics, speak next week, and then he'll pull out. Um, he had the Ohio State new basketball coach the other day, and but just a variety of coaches on a variety of things, and a lot of them are leadership. A lot of it's not; it's really not about. It's about team building and leadership. It's really not about um, basketball, and so I, I've found those two things to be really helpful. Very cool. I have one more question. Do you have any more? I don't think so. A bunch more, but yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> me too. Um, how important is faith in business? or in leadership in particular? So I was asked to speak at a university. They wanted me to come in and speak on leadership. And I said, that'd be great. And the the professor said, no, I found you through, you know, you're writing books with Tony Dudgy and Tim Tebow. And so I just wanted to make sure since I'm, you know, part of a state university, you're not going to talk about God. And I said, well, I'm going to be talking about leadership. And he said, yeah, I know. I just want to make sure you're not going to preach. And I'm like, well, right. I understand the setting I'm in. I get it. But at the same time, um, for me, part of being authentic is understanding that faith for me matters. And that's a part of who I am. And that's a part of how I've, um, and it's a part of my humility, right? That if, as, as Matthew said, it's not necessarily about dragging myself down. 
it's about realizing that I think we're all creating the image of God, and so that means that everybody else out there isn't as important as I am, um, and we're just doing different things in different ways. And so I think that that matters along the way, and so to totally um, set it aside would be unauthentic. At the same time, it really wasn't terribly relevant to my talk on the five points of leadership and why those matter, but I think they could tell as I was speaking that that's a part of who, who I am and my priorities, um, but it doesn't have, it's not necessarily a part of everybody. But for me, that matters a lot. And, and I think it, it filters into who I am and, and how I lead and how I relate to people and build those relationships. And it has been with Coach Dungey as well, a big, big part, right? I mean, it, I mean, you were talking about really like about the circus and how I right. mean, earlier in the episode, you were like talking about how, you know, you're going through the circus. And I mean, it just seems like he always has this peace about him and this calmness and I think in a lot of ways, at least for me, like it goes, it goes to that faith and right. just knowing that, okay, if this is a trial, this is a storm, like I'm, here, I'm here for a reason. Absolutely. No, it's critical for Tony, who he is, how he leads, how he relates to people. Um, but then with respect to how he, I mean, they understand where he's coming from. So he, he at one point told the story of David and Goliath in the locker room and he actually, mm-hmm. he actually uh, read, read it. Um, passages to it. And some of the guys are like, whoa, 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 that's in a book? I thought that was just a story. And so I was like, yeah, it's, it's actually in a book. Um, but he, at the end of the day, he, he didn't mandate, right? He didn't mandate that they read the Bible along with him, and he didn't mandate that they be believers. But they just understood, this is where Tony's coming from. This is where part of the lessons and the values that, that he's going to talk about, this is where they're anchored. Um, so he just kind of, this is who I am. And, and, you know, with Tony, it's incredibly appealing. And so I think people are drawn to that. But if they weren't, that was fine, too. It's just understanding that's who I am and that's how I'm going to lead. And, and that's how he did it um, without mandating or forcing anything. And I think some people thought, well, Tony, he's only got a bunch of Christians and they have to, be the, they have to think the way he thinks. And, you know, I can promise you some of those guys did not think exactly that's the way right. Tony thinks. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I think... Um, We've talked a lot today about the relationship piece, and it would be, as we've been talking about that, inauthentic to not share who you are uh, in that relationship. And it would be inauthentic to not want to hear from others who they are in that relationship. And if that, that is a piece that is uh, unshareable, then I, I think it's never truly a good relationship. And I think that's a, that's a difficult piece. So for me, it's always been uh, one of those, those opportunities to share who I am, to, to engage with that, and to hear who other people are. Uh, and I, I think, you know, Florida, University of Florida is a place where, you know, you, you have to be able to know the context, and, but that doesn't mean I'm absent from who I am in that context. And it's not that uh, people don't expect that of me, uh, to share that, to engage with that, because once again, I think it would be inauthentic to who I am and my values and my engagement in that. So um, it's, it's great. I, I think, uh, I, I love that story about a book. You know, it's in a, it's in a book. I think there are some <laughs> opportunities um, to share that with those uh, more when you feel comfortable and really define it, but it, it has helped define my leadership. So not necessarily my teaching of leadership, although it has, uh, but really in who I am as a leader and how I practice leadership. Because that's the other thing is those who teach, they often say, don't practice. So that's really nice about that. I don't have to ever be a leader. I could just teach about leadership. <laughs> but I tried to do both, and, and I think that has helped guide me, and it's also helped me bring me back whether 
you know, you know, when the big grant comes in or the research paper gets accepted, it's helped me remain understanding of who I am and humble as, as we've been talking about compared to the bigger world that I'm, I'm in and, and the people that I'm working with and, and really the amazing people around this table at that university in this world that are doing just really good things, really good things. And that's, you know, for me, a cause of something much bigger. Yeah, it goes into our core value 11 here, for me anyway, like our, our core, core value 11 here is to serve a higher purpose at New Scooters for Less. And I always try to, and it was funny because when we created our core values, you know, we did it as a team and we created the 10 core values and then I added that 11th one. Later on we added a 12th one, which was if you're late to work, you better bring breakfast. But, <laughs> but I, I, I added, yeah. That other one. Yeah, I yeah. added the, uh, the 11th thing. But the thing I really love about that is it's not forcing anything on anyone other than you're not the only thing that matters here. Right. You know, you, I, I don't, Again, I'm not creating you what perspective. You, that's right. Creating perspective. That's right. That perspective. It's much it's bigger everywhere. than. I mean, it's much bigger than selling and servicing scooters. And isn't that the truth? It's it's about perspective. I mean, this mimosa is a perfect example of perspective. Uh, I asked you to bring it. You brought it. Uh, I, I did it as a joke to let you know I was I fun. That was thing. You brought <laughs> it. To show like, me that I'm you're going to deliver gonna... no matter what. And the truth is, like. If we, I asked you to bring uh, you know, whiskey straight up, you'd probably look at me and be like, ah, I'm not sure that that's right. <laughs> now I get to drink at seven o'clock in the morning. And Let's that's do a Friday perception. night podcast. It's all, yeah, that's right. It's all, all perception. And, and I think that's what it does. It sets the perception for, it's gotta be something more here than just selling a scooter or just you having a job. And I think that's ultimately how you become scalable is when you believe in more than just that and allow people to believe more than that. And I've seen that in, in the stuff that you do. Guys, thank you so much again for being here. Ty, do you have any any last awesome. minute things? This is awesome. It was fun. No, just let us know where we can we can find you both um, yeah. online or on social media. Definitely, yeah, we'll definitely do that. No, I mean, but now, you guys like, have right yeah, now, yeah, let us. Oh, know. Yeah, yeah. perfect. Where, where can we find so, you guys? I mean, you have so I'm on website. Twitter at at Nathan Whitaker. I've got a website. My wife calls it my shrine to me, NathanWhitaker.com. <laughs> uh, it's very funny, by the way. Yeah, it's very <laughs> funny. Yeah, funny. Next week, we should have the two wives come in here and just talk about how all <laughs> oh of this gosh. was <laughs> made up. up. Yeah, really set that well, straight. Yeah, you know? right. Paul, would they do it? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I'd have to tell them not to. I would absolutely <laughs> rock that podcast. Right. That would be fun. Yeah. Uh, and you? So mine is Sauchik, S-O-W-C-I-K, at ufl.edu. And that's probably the best way to, to get in touch with me, have Facebook and that, those sort of things. But that's the best way for me to reach out to you and contact you and that sort of stuff, too. Cool. You guys, thank you again so much. This is, oh, that's my that's my alarm to uh, take my Prilosec for, <laughs> for my uh, stomach issues that's been going on. Um, Gainesville world, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for listening, guys. Thanks again for being here. What awesome. an amazing discussion on leadership, um, guys. I just I love do, you know I love doing this in the morning because it's just an incredible way to start my day, and I just feel so fulfilled when I get to have a conversation like this one. So thanks again. And um, this is the WHOA GNV podcast, the podcast bringing you businesses and individuals that make you go, whoa. We will see you later. Bye.